You're listening to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice, a podcast by two entrepreneurs at different stages of life, sharing real life experiences, managing a successful business and family life. It's honest talk about lessons learned, balancing family, faith, business, and personal growth on the journey of making our dreams a reality. Now, here are your hosts, Jerry and Jacoby. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice. I'm Jacoby, here with my good friend and co-host, Jerry. In every episode, we're bringing you honest conversations about what really matters and how to create success without sacrificing what you love the most. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing the topic of how you can lose a few battles, but you can still win the war, about how small losses can still lead to victory. Yeah, super excited about this one. Uh, After taking a week off, we both were on vacation last week, enjoying it, completely unplugging, and we are ready to go. So losing the battle and winning the war, this is definitely something that over the years has grown as or has changed as I've matured. I, I always think of when you're driving uh, in your car, and uh, as somebody, I used to put a ton of miles on, a ve- on my vehicle. Uh, and somebody who's driving in their car all the time, like 30, 35,000 miles a year, um, you are in a lot of battles out there. You know, you're going to make that light. Is that guy going to cut you off? Is he going to get in front of you? And I used to get so worked up and so emotional on the road. And I found myself always being mad. Uh, because I kept losing uh, these little battles out there. And once I kind of made the shift in that, uh, my time in the car became a lot better. So that, that was kind of the initial as we started talking about the topic that uh, it's the little things that probably put a pretty big magnifying glass on your life. And that was the one that came to to mind when we started talking about this one. I think that's a really big one because every, everybody can relate to that one, right? It's like you're you're driving along and you see that person in the lane next to you and it's like they want to get over. They didn't put their signal on and they've got a little bit of space and they're like, okay, they could probably fit in there. But if I tap the gas just a little bit, they definitely won't fit in there. And so there's like a little, <laughs> a little battle going on there that... Uh, you're exactly right. I think it's like the human condition. It's like, okay, that person wants in and now I've got the power to either let them in or not let them in. Right. And so I can definitely relate with that one as well. And, uh, yeah, my mind has changed totally on that recently. It's just like, man, that is a battle that in the end is a very small battle that does not matter. So like most of the time I just let people in now, usually depending on what has happened in the past couple of minutes, if I'm like heightened (laughs) or not. (laughs) So, but like to break that down though, what it comes down to though, like for, for me, like thinking about that, like I'm glad you kind of started this off like that is like, what are the consequences that can happen over that because that's a small exchange right like that is a small exchange in the grand scheme of things but depending on how that situation goes depending on how fast you're going on the road it could be at a stoplight or it could be on the highway or anything if you're going 70 miles an hour down the highway like that can have catastrophic you know consequences over a small decision where it's like okay I just let this guy in or I just let him go by or whatever else but and so you know really in my head I'm trying to think about like in the grand scheme of things, does this little battle matter? And 
on one part it does and on one part it doesn't like it matters what my response is because there can be like huge consequences the other thing could happen is you know the guy you don't let the guy in the guy follows you over to the parking lot of where you're going and then he like you know crazy stuff's going on right now he wants to beat you up or pull a gun on you or anything could happen and so you can literally change the course of a lot of things just by that small interaction you know Oh, definitely. And even on a smaller scale than like the life altering consequences, if I spend 45 minutes on a drive completely amped up the whole time, I can't just shut that off when I pull in the driveway. So then I'm bringing that mentality into the house. And that's, you know, we've, we've talked about that on previous episodes on, you know, making sure that you're in a good mindset when you get home for your family. And that was one that, you know, if you're amped up for 45 minutes, you're not just going to shut it off as soon as you pull in the driveway. That's exactly right. So you're, yeah, you're making a small decision for long, long-term effects there. Affects everything. Yep. So what is it, this uh, idea of why do we always feel we have to win? I think that's the, what it comes down to is, um, and, and I see it in our kids all the time. Even I think it was, uh, two episodes ago you talked about one of the boys lost their first match and so what is it about us that's conditioned to always think we're supposed to win yeah well I'm always supposed to win because I'm a winner for one but uh, I think it's like I think it's all like I said I think that's built into us we want we want to win nobody wants to lose nobody wants to be a loser and so you always want to have your best foot forward you always want to do the absolute best that you can do and so most of the times you know, that's the way we feel good about ourselves and feel like we're making progress is if we win. And I think that's like, I think that's a good thing for us to talk about is just because you win a competition or because you come out on top, did you actually win? Does that mean you actually won? And so I think that is uh, really important, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's built into us. That's one way that we see progress and that's what we want. We always want to be progressing forward that's how we feel like we're we're moving forward is that we actually we actually win and so looking on the scoreboard is the easy thing to do you know and so i think that's why we that's why we look at that but um what well, do you think well i want to back up a little bit you talked about you know you when you win the competition you come home with the medal or the trophy did you you know you asked the question did you really win what is that what do you mean there yeah so did you did you really win i think you have to know what it is that you're actually looking for, right? And so we're talking about you can lose a battle, but you can still win the war. And so the question is there, like, what is the war? What's your, it always comes back to what's your why, right? Why were you, why are you in the competition? Why are you doing what you're doing? And what's the end goal that you want? And so you don't want to sabotage everything you know, in these small battles for, you know, sacrificing what you want in the end. So what you're saying is a lot of times our small battles can get in the way of actually winning the war because we're so focused on that piece of it. I think that's, I think that's exactly it. And so, yeah. So one of the, I've been on this book, 33 strategies of war. And so uh, in the, in that book, this is actually one of the one of the chapters in the book and they talk about Alexander the great. And the one thing that they taught, he talks about in there, you know, obviously he conquered half the world or whatever. uh, But he, he um, attributes part of his, uh, 
philosophy, I guess you could say, to his mom and to his other mentor who was like, who was Aristotle. And so he said his mom gave him vision. So she helped him see, like, look at things long term, like what did he actually want? And so like, that's what I think is the part of like, when we're talking about the war, the long term strategy of what do you actually want? And then don't lose sight of that. And then he said Aristotle helped him uh, not be emotional about things that are happening in the present. And so he would, he would basically try to disconnect himself and his emotions from what was happening so he could make sure he could focus on what he wanted in the end. And so he wouldn't, you know, get, get bogged down by the things that were happening now and he could make decisions now that were ultimately going to lead him to the goals that he wanted in the end. Yeah, that makes sense because uh, we do. We tend to get so wrapped up in the present, and you know, and that correlates with something I wanted to to bring up, and that was, well, I'm going to act that way because that's the right. You know, what they're doing is wrong. Like when we get stuck in the principle, you know, quote unquote, the principle, making decisions on principle typically is not a great long term strategy when you're trying to win that like exact moment. I remember. We switched schools. Uh, Coop's going into eighth grade now. So this is his sixth grade year. We are going to a new school. And Cooper is type 1 diabetic, which means, uh, you know, he has to make sure, uh, basically his pancreas does not uh, create insulin. And so he always has to monitor his blood sugar. And so throughout the day, he'll have to check his blood sugar 10, 12 times, which means from a school perspective, we're really involved in the office because most of that uh, stuff takes place in the office. So it's important to have a good relationship with the office staff. Well, we, uh, when, we got, when we, we got assigned to this school, we heard that the secretary was awful to work with, like rude, kind of always mean. And this is a place that my kid has to go two, three times a day into the office. And so that, you know, how do I want that environment to be shaped for him? So our initial interaction with the secretary proved to be, uh, proved everyone true. It was awful. Like, I mean, she, it was, I couldn't believe how rude she was. And so that night we're, Holly and I are talking, how are we going to handle this? And, you know, she was really irritated and a brief moment of clarity uh, in the in the present, I made the decision. Okay, we're not going to do that. The next day, I ordered her a hundred and thirty dollar fruit basket, like from Edible Arrangements, and shipped it to her. Just, you know, uh, addressed it to her. Said we're really looking forward to the year. Um, hope hope your you know hope your year's off to a great start. Whatever the note you know something note said something like that, and that was it. So it had like one hundred and thirty dollars of fruit and balloons, and um, you know, hey, we're really looking forward to working with you. She wasn't always great to us in the future, but she was great to Cooper. She's been great to Cooper for the last two years. And that's all I needed. That's all I wanted. Uh, This is the best $130 I spent that year. And so it was the, we may have, you know, if you look at it at the way we're talking about it, we may have lost that small battle at the beginning where she was allowed to be rude to us. But the war for me was I needed Cooper's time in that office to not ruin his day. I needed him you know, I needed that to be a positive environment for him. And that's what we were able to create. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And uh, yeah, there's probably a lot of ego and a lot of pride you have to swallow in order to, to make that happen. And so, yeah, that's, that's like those little battles, almost like in the car when you're not wanting somebody to, to, you know, get in the next lane or drive in front of you or something like that. It's like, you know, 
I give up that little battle in order to win the war. And so, yeah, knowing exactly what you want and how to get that is, is, is exactly, I think that's, that's spot on. That's a good story, man. I still, you've told me that story, I think probably like two or three years ago. I still remember that like, I used that whenever I'm thinking about things. I already, I knew where you were going to go with that one. Whenever you started that, it's a good, yeah. it's a good story. Yeah. You know, so we talked about a couple things, and what I want you to talk about is how this has kind of played itself out in jujitsu for you. And this is, uh, as somebody who watches like UFC and stuff, like I know like some of the language, and but you know, like the everyday, like the battles on TV, like I know you look at those a little bit differently than I do because I'm like, oh, that fight that was kind of boring, and you'll be like, oh, that wasn't boring, that was so technical. Um, <laughs> So where is this kind of, I assume you've come up with some thoughts on, um, you know, losing the battle to win the war in jujitsu. Like how's that playing itself out as somebody's your, I guess you're probably in your second year now. Yeah. Going into third, the third year of jujitsu, the thing that I, I, I love jujitsu cause I think it applies to life in general. And the thing I really like about it is you have to be strategic. So I'm a, I feel like I'm a really strategic thinker. And the way to get better at jujitsu is you can't just learn certain moves and techniques. You have to know like what's coming next and you have to know in order to be good. What I'm finding is that you need to know you can be in a position and then there's a few moves that you can make, but those, those moves are all predicated on what your opponent does, but your opponent only has a certain amount of moves that they can do from any position. And so if I know what those moves are, and I know how to counter those moves, then I know I can almost predict what's going to happen. And so I have to have, you know, and so I think, I think that's where it comes in at is like, I know what the end goal is. I know what the moves are going to be. And so whenever someone reacts, I make a reaction to get someone to try to get to where I want them to be at. And so really what I think it comes down to is just knowing where you want to go and where your opponent wants to go which in life I guess in general you can't really know you know where what someone is going to do or what's exactly going to happen but you can make decisions to try to get the outcomes that you want yep okay and so it's a matter of so where would you say it it, where's the strength then and if you know you're going to be putting a move and you have three or four moves to get out is it just practicing those three or four moves and uh, at some point the muscle memory takes over and when you get when you get put into something you're just reacting to that yeah that's partly it you're just reacting to it I think the other thing too that is like a really good concept that we kind of talked about earlier is like the fact of like always having to win and so you want to win but you have to almost make it seem as though sometimes if you were like too dominant with someone, they'll just literally just sit in one spot and they can't, they won't move. So then you can't move. So like, I guess what I'm really trying to say is, is that, you know, sometimes you, you won't put yourself in a bad position, but you also won't go as hard as you can go in order to get into a certain position, if that makes sense. And so that like, yeah, I think it really comes true to this concept of what we're talking about, like of always having to win. Like you don't always, even though you're, you can win, you don't have to be in certain positions in order to, to, to get there. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And then kind of along the lines too of in, in jujitsu, you have to 
make decisions to tap out at times. And so that's not, that's not a physical, that's like, that's not a move or a reaction that becomes where that's a mental thing. At what point does that, you know, okay, I can't win this one. I boom, I got to let it go. Yeah. And it depends on what game you're playing as well. Right. So if I'm training in my, um, you know, in my gym with my teammates, then, you know, obviously tapping out or losing, uh, doesn't really matter as much. And so let's say, you know, one of my training partners gets me in an arm bar and I already know that I'm not going to be able to get out. Well, it's better for me to go ahead and tap early than for him to go ahead and like extend everything out, extend my arm out, and then possibly have the possibility of hurting myself and then, you know, not being able to train for two or three weeks. And so that is, yeah, very for sure. But if I am at, a competition like master worlds, which is like the number one competition for our federation. Um, and somebody has me in an arm bar, I might be willing to take the risk of getting my arm broken in order to be called a world champion. So, you know, de- depending on what the situation is, what your goal is, um, I always come back to the end goal, right? Depending on what that actually is train, my training is training, but a world championship means more than actual, you know, getting hurt in training. You'll take it, you'll take the risk of being hurt at a world championship than you will be in training. All right. So let's swing this back around. You said the one thing you like about, or one of the things you like about jujitsu is that it correlates to life. So where's, how does that concept swing back to life? So, so really the main thing, like as I was getting ready for the podcast, this was the one thing that, that I was thinking about is that, you know, why do you always have to win? And I always want to win, but sometimes losing is better in the long run than actually winning. And so um, I never want to lose a competition. I've lost a few matches here recently. And so in those, what I found out though, is that like in those losses, I actually learn more from a loss sometimes than I do from actually winning. And so because you're in such a heightened state, because your emotions are running so high, you remember things when you make mistakes, um, which is why I think it's good to put yourself in, in challenging positions because you actually learn more when, you, when your senses are heightened like that. And so uh, when I lose, it burns so much, like it makes me want to win more. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to remember like what I did and I'm not going to make that mistake again. So for me, I'm like, I'm fine with bumping my head one time, but I don't like to bump my head multiple times. And so as I look back, I know the mistakes that I made. And for, and so for me, like, as I'm moving forward, like a lot of people say that you want to get your black belt in jujitsu. Well, the things that happened in the past in those losses are going to help me down the road whenever I'm getting my, you know, on the road to getting my black belt or when I become a black belt or when you do that and you become a teacher, you can teach other folks. And so the fact that I lost in my head, it's categorized as a win. And so, you know, you lose, but you actually gain things in the grand scheme of things of what you, of what you, uh, when you lost. And so I look at it the same way, like in, you know, if that's in a transaction or if that's, you know, dealing with someone or like, you know, what do I want to actually have happen and not get caught up in my ego and those little, little battles in there? 
Yeah, I think this correlates over to parenting as well. I mean, we make a ton of mistakes when it comes to parenting. Um, you know, one of the hardest jobs that's out there, and there's a um, doesn't seem to be a real good uh, step-by-step manual on that. And part of the reason is, uh, as somebody who's got three kids, you know, 25, 20, and 13, uh, it's incredible that they are as different as they are. And even your kids are closer in age, and I'm sure you can see some big area or big examples of how they're how they're different than each other. So one of the things that I think I've picked up on and I've gotten better as as it's gone with my kids and I've gotten better over time is what does the time in in my truck look like? Um, and that's time that I get with my kid. And typically it's just one of them. And right now I probably spend the most time with Cooper. And so what does that time in the truck look like? Am I on the phone constantly? And um, where I don't I don't, I personally don't make a set rule that I, I can't take a call or be on the phone with him because I also want him to, I want to bring him into my life a little bit as well. I want him to see some of the things that I'm doing. Um, and I have a desire for him to want to enjoy real estate and get into real estate. And so I want him to hear some of those conversations and some of the, the language and the words that we use. Um, but he did point out it was, Probably three weeks ago, we're driving in the truck and we were literally just going from my house to the church, which is like eight minutes. And we pulling into the church and the phone rang and he said, oh, we almost made it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we almost went the whole trip without your phone ringing. And I'm like, dang, like I never even thought about that. But he notices that, you know, my phone blows up and, uh, you know, we're eight minutes and he's like, I don't think I've ever been in the truck without you getting a phone call. And so I need to be really conscious and learn from that, that I can't be answering all those calls when he's in the truck. Um, I don't want to just ignore a lot of it because I, like I said, I, I've got a reason that I want him to, to be a part of it. But I also need to make sure that the time I'm spending with him, that there's intention behind it. Really good. Yeah. Intention behind it. Because what are, what are you trying to communicate to him? I think is really the key, right? What are you in that time not answering the phone? What are you trying to communicate to Coop? Yeah, I'm trying to communicate that he's important, that he's a priority, and that that call can wait. And not, you know, I don't want all of those phone calls to move into his time. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's what we t- we sometimes lie to ourselves, right? And say like, our kids are most important to us. And then, you know, like you said, you know, we're always answering the phone or we're always doing something else while we're supposed to be spending time with them or saying we're going to spend time with them. And, you know, what gets communicated is, wow. So, okay, you're answering the phone all the time. The phone's ringing all the time. What, uh, what are you going to take priority over, you know? And so, I think that's really, really good in how I you think, display that. And I think with my oldest, with Andrew, um, at 25, like, I don't believe, uh, well, I know for sure that I didn't make him the priority. My my job and our scenario and our situation then was definitely was the priority because that's when, you know, during his kind of formative years were the, my toughest years in business. That's where the bankruptcy and the foreclosure and um uh, a lot of that took place. And so I worked, I mean, I was working so much. And then if I wasn't working, I was wrapped up in, in work. Like there was no unplugging or being intentional about what I was doing with my family. And I think that that has an effect on Drew's and I drew and I's relationship now. 
in that it's more of a struggle. We do some texting and we have some conversations, but there's definitely some ground that needs to be made up there uh, and, and definitely need to be a lot more intentional about that. For sure. Yeah. And so when I think about, yeah, with my little ones, like you said, like they're all so different. And so what do we, my final thing for me, especially for my two boys is I just, you know, by the time they leave my house, I just want to make sure number one, that they are productive uh, citizens of society, that they can take care of themselves, that they're leaders and they know how to make decisions for themselves. And then also for me, like I want them to be a follower of follower of Jesus, you know? And so everything that I do, I'm trying to make sure that it is at least rooted in that. And so, you know, are there some things that we let go by the wayside for sure? Because I'm like in the grand scheme of things, is this going to take away from what we think our purpose is for being here for our kids, you know? And so I think that's like really important. How do you weigh that helps you weigh in your actions off of what the result that you want. So when you know what you're looking for at the end, you know, it's like, okay, does this thing that I'm doing right now actually lead to where I want to be yet? So I think that's really good. Yeah. Well, I think kind of along the lines, what you're talking about is then that also means if, if you're looking at that as your end goal, then there's going to be situations that you are going to let your kids fail. And that's a tough thing to do. And I'm, I'm, I don't even think I'm great, great at it, but I do, I am aware that there's times that I want, that I'm going to sit back and let my kid fail because they have to learn to deal with that. I can't just jump in and, and try to fix it where when Drew was a kid, I always tried to jump in and fix all his, like, you know, try to help him avoid problems when he gets in a situation, help him out of it where uh, the skill set that you really need to help them develop is the how can they self-manage a scenario, even if that means they're going to fail. Because as you said earlier, you've learned more in from your failures to help you get to your goal. And so we need to make sure we're passing that skill set along to our children as well. It's a hard, it's a, man, it's a hard concept to think about, right? Is it's, and I also think like, not wanting to fail is a good thing, but also not wanting to fail. Like it will, it'll, it'll cripple you. Like it'll stop you from doing things. And so the thing is, is, you know, you have to try things and we always look to examples like in the business world or whatever else, but like you look at people who are successful, they have lots and lots of failures. Like we don't talk about their failures a lot, but anyone who's done anything has tons of failures in their past. They're just not looked at because they have that one success that overshadows everything that they've done, right? Like the one thing I think about is like Colonel Sanders with Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like he had tons of failures and then he's like successful at whatever age he was. Like it took him a long time to get to where he was at. Or even like, I think it's the invention of the light bulb, right? Is that, I think that's one of the stories too. Like, is it was failed so many times. And so like failure, we get into this mindset that failure is a bad thing and failure is not a bad thing. Like, you know, obviously you don't want to do anything that's going to put you at danger or, you know, but you have to, you have to take calculated risk in order to be great. And you are going to lose, like losing is not, is not a bad thing. 
And as a matter of fact, is if you're not, if you're not losing, you're probably leaving something on the table. Like if you're not taking enough risks where you're stretching yourself and you have that possibility to lose, then you're actually not putting yourself out there. You're not using the resources you've got to the best of your ability, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's a, it's a volume game. It's a, how much are you going to put in? You know, if I'm going to make 10 phone calls this week to try to get a new listing, I'm probably going to fail if it's just 10 phone calls. Now, if I make a thousand, then I'm probably going to succeed. And the difference is just the work I put in, but you know, it's, it's, it's all relative into like the volume, like earlier we were talking about in baseball, if you hit 300 throughout your career as a major league baseball player, they're going to make the hall of fame, but it's a, it's a volume game. It's because they're going to have so many at bats, you know, there's, and so you had asked the question, does, how does that correlate to life? Are you, are you okay in life only uh, succeeding 30% of the time? And, you know, my initial reaction was no, but then I was like, Oh, wait a second. It's going to depend on what it is. You know. I think that's exactly right. Like, so if it's, if it's tr- like in, ju- like we were talking jujitsu, right? If I only, if I'm only successful 30% of the time in training, like depending on what I learn and depending on how I apply that, that could be good. But if I'm only successful 30% of the time in my competitions, then absolutely not, you know? <laughs> so you have to know what game you're playing and where you're at. Yeah. It's like in, so as another example to that in marketing, if I'm going to send out mailers, if I get 2% of the people to call back, I'm considering that a success. But in listings, if I don't sell a listing, then I'm considering that a failure. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm okay with 1% response in marketing, but I need 99% success when it comes to selling houses. That's exactly so just right. Correlation to, to what you're looking at. So you just have to, you know, it's not just a broad stroke. You have to look at what is you're doing and then what is considered a success. Which, yeah, which I think is what it comes down to in the end, right? What is success for you? You have to define it. You have to know what it is so that you ha- actually have something to gauge your battles and what you're doing against that. Do your actions actually line up with what you actually want? And I think that's really the main key point because a lot of times, we get sucked into what's going on right now, getting involved in it and losing sight of what we actually want. And so you can get so bogged down in the details of it that you don't actually, you know, continue on the road that you want to be on. And then once you've gotten so far, that's a lot of times what you hear people say, right? They're like, I don't like, I don't know how we got in this position. Well, it's like, well, if we look back and look at the actions that you took, that's how you got in that position. The decisions you made every day, you didn't think about where you wanted to go and you were only making decisions on the present and off of emotion, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of a video by Patrick Bet David on YouTube. He calls it your next five moves and he breaks down like he talks about chess players a lot and how they're, uh, you know, they have a lot of their moves already mapped out before they even do anything they know what's going to happen and so he's got this video and then his book actually just came out yesterday uh your next five moves he calls it now when he first started talking about this concept it used to be uh your first 15 or your next 15 moves uh so i think he dumbed it down a little bit to five moves for us because uh 15 might seem a little 
a little too lofty, especially if you're somebody who's living in the present. And I've been there where it's just, you know, the present. And that's all that I'm concerned about. You know, 15 moves out isn't even anything you can think about. Right now, uh, like the five moves is a pretty big concept for me as far as like, when, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking about like when it comes to my business, you know, what are the next five moves in my business and what does that look like? But it's definitely something that is helping you drive forward and it helps you not focus on the present and get so emotional about what's happening in the present. Yeah, getting emotionally involved i think is really the the main thing i i i think like one of my strengths is i'm really good at doing that and so you know a lot of times you have folks the way i'm going to use this example is you know you, you have two people because it's just recently recently happened but i know people will be like listening to the podcast but you have someone they they get into a disagreement right and it's like you know each of these people they really want what's best for each other. And so like, but they get into a disagreement about something and there's something that they want. And so like, you just like, whenever I talk to someone, I'm like, man, like think about why this person did this and what they want for you and what your goals are. And then whenever like you stop somebody and they actually think about it, they're like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like in the grand scheme of things, this does not matter. And like, I'm going to go like, I see what you're saying. And so like, they'll let that go. And the other crazy thing is, is like, even after like that happens, like you sit back and you look back, like if it's like a year later or three weeks or a month later, you're like, I don't even remember like what I was arguing about or why I was mad. But you know, like, because you made that decision, you are in a better spot now than you were before. So it's like always trying to, I'm always trying to think like later on down the line, will this decision even the decision will matter regardless, but the decision you make, will you be closer or further away from where you want to be from that decision? Does that make sense? Back up to the, uh, the initial comments of two people. And if they have an argument, like break that down a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to go into the details of what, the, <laughs> of what an art, like, <laughs> so I'm trying, I'm like yeah. being kind of vague. So I know it's probably not the best example, but it's a really good example, but I just don't know how to, uh, how to explain it without, you know, without incriminating the, uh, yeah, the people, <laughs> the people involved. I so. get that. But my point is, is like, you know, you're moving towards something. For instance, let's use this, this example. You have a coach, right? You have a coach and then your coach makes a decision and that decision makes you mad or your coach says something and you feel as though what they said was directed at you, even if it was or it wasn't. And, you know, you get your feelings hurt or whatever else. Well, it's like, hey, like, you know, your coach wants what's best for you. You know what I mean? And so don't get bogged down in the fact of they made this comment towards you. What you need to focus on is that they want what's best for you. You know, they're a good coach. You came to them for a reason. So, you know, listen to what they said. And in the end, like, you want to be the best at what you're doing. So don't let like one small argument with your coach or even an argument with your teammate bring you down and have you make a decision that's going to stop you from if it's, you know, football winning a winning a championship or if it's jujitsu winning a world championship. It's like you're letting such a small thing get in the way of the grant of the bigger goal that you wanted. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. Now I'm tracking. There we go. Even like correlated to business, it could be, you know, you know, is your broker saying something to you that you didn't like to hear? Or the what really comes to mind is, you know, um, when I'm hired to sell a house, you know, when I'm hired somebody to list their house and get it sold, you know, it's it, I'm not just listing it to list it. I, I, I want to get it sold. That's the the whole intent. And sometimes sellers get in your way, you know, by some decisions that they make uh, might be, you know, they don't want to put a lockbox on the house or they want to be home for the showings or some things that you know are going to hinder them. And so as you're having the disagreement with them, you can't let that get in the way of what your real goal is. And that's to get the house sold for them. 100%. There's always little small battles in there, right? For instance, even if you get a house under contract, this is always happens a lot of the times in negotiations. So you've got, you've agreed on a price and then there's, you know, just little things that come up and then my seller will be like, well, they think that I'm just going to give them everything that they want. And so I always try to break that down and I'm like, I don't know if that's what they think or not, actually. I don't know. I really don't know what they're thinking. The thing I do know is, and it always goes back to like, as a realtor, you're a fiduciary. So you're, your job is to serve your client's best interest. And if they've told you that is to sell the house, then what I'm trying to do is remove all of their emotions, even though that's not going to happen. But I want to be like that actual voice of reason. And it's like, okay, I don't know what they're thinking. And you don't, and to be honest, you don't either. And so even though you think they think you're just going to give them everything or they're going to steal your house, the question is, do you want to sell your house do you want to move into that new house that you have under contract and you have to sell this house in order to do that? The price that we've gotten, is that the price we talked about? Is it reasonable? Yes, it is. Well, let's not let what this buyer thinks or even the fantasy of what we think they might be thinking ruin your future. Like think about your wife, think about your kids. They want to move into that new house with the pool, you know, and and you just bring up all those things. And I feel like once you start talking about those things, people start to, you know, they start to realize like, okay, that stuff does, does not matter. It's like a voice of, of reason. Right. And so, but we always let those little things come in and, and try to stop us from getting what we want. Yeah. People talk quote unquote principle, all, you know, principle. And that just gets in the way it, it gets in the way all the time in real estate, but it gets away all the time in life. For um, sure. And yeah, and there's a big difference between principle and values, right? So it's like, it's a principle of the matter. Like maybe it's okay to go against the principle, but if it's a value in who you are, you might not want to go against that value, you know? Oh yeah. Never thought about it that way, but you are, you're dead on there. That's for sure. And now it's time to take a quick break for our feature called Time to Invest. We're going to drop some knowledge on you in regards to the investment into real estate world. All right, guys, I want to talk to you here on this feature of time to invest about what type of investor do you want to be? Do you want to be a passive investor or do you want to be an active investor? So here are the differences. Um, If you are going to be an active investor, that is actually someone who is actually going out, finding deals, becoming a wholesaler, becoming a flipper, doing those sorts of things. A passive investor is someone who's on the other side of investing, which means you are still involved in real estate, but you are not actively 
doing the actions of like finding deals and doing that sort of thing. And so as a passive investor, what you can do is you can be a partner who is just like a money partner. For instance, uh, an investor will need cash in order to um, make a purchase on a property. So, or they might need uh, help getting a loan in order to purchase the property. And so one way that you can uh, be involved in real estate and still get the benefits of that is uh, investing passively. And that would be with your, with your cash. So if you have cash that you can put into a deal, or if you are, you know, have the ability to get a loan, you can partner up with someone, uh, qualify for the loan. That way they would have the cash in order to purchase the property. They would do whatever they're going to do with the property. If that's purchase and renovate the property, they would do that. And then once they sell it, they would cash themselves out and cash you out as well. As far as single family, that's how that would work. And then if you're doing a multifamily or even a larger commercial deal, uh, you can have multiple passive investors, which would be considered like limited partners if it was a um, limited partnership uh, and then a uh, member if it was an LLC, depending on how you purchase the property. And so that all depends on like what your risk level is. That's what I think you need to think about is what your risk tolerance is for things and what your, I think you should invest according to your lifestyle. And so there are some people that uh, they have a job and they don't want anything to do with like day-to-day operations of investing. And so if that's you and you don't want to have to deal with those things, then passively investing would be best for you. If that's not the case, and let's say you're trying to uh, get out of your job or like, you know, you hate your job or want to do something else, actively investing is the best way to do that. In order to get the best returns though, Uh, and make the most money, you have to be an active investor. You have to be someone who knows how to find deals and put deals together. So if you're looking for like big returns and you want to make more money, then you need to become an active investor. As a passive investor, you will make, you will make more money, but your, your returns will be a little bit lower, uh, possibly more, um, uh, more predictable because let's say you, you lend your money out uh, let's say you lend out $100,000 or $50,000 and that can be your own cash or a loan or a line of credit. And then you're going to get like an 8%, like 8 to 12% return on your money, which is still really, really good compared to anything else that's out there um, with relatively low risk. Because as a passive investor, if the active investor does not let's say they um, don't end up doing what they were planning on doing with the property. Normally an investor is going to purchase a property at like 75% of the value, 70% of the value. And so what would happen is that person would basically end up, you would foreclose on the property is essentially what would happen. You would get the property and you could still even sell it in its current condition because it's at 70% of the value. You might not make as much of a return like we said before, but you're still going to be able to make money on an asset that you didn't find. And so like that's the protection for you as a passive investor is that if things don't go the way they should, uh, you can get the property back and then sell the property and still usually make a profit. So uh, that's really uh, what I wanted to talk to you about. So think about being a passive investor or an active investor. What is best for your risk profile? Do you have the time? 
to find deals, put deals together, and also find cash to get deals done? Or are you in a situation where you just need to lend your money out in order to still be involved in real estate, still get the benefits of real estate, but not have as much time and possibly not have as many headaches uh, in real estate investing? Talk to you guys later. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the feature there, Time to Invest. So just want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast where we're talking about losing the battle, but winning the war. And so through this episode, Jerry and I talked about why do we have this concept in our heads that we always have to win? And we kind of spoke through that. And when you actually lose, sometimes you can actually win and then uh, walk through how do we get actually what we want? So you have to actually know what you are actually uh, looking forward to. And then that is going to help you figure out which battles that are going to be most important and how you should respond to kind of what's going on. A few resources that we talked about are your next five moves by Patrick Bet David. He has a video on YouTube and just came out with his book that is also titled Your Next Five Moves. And then the 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene. Uh, there's a chapter in there that talks about Alexander the Great and how he has been successful in winning the war. There were a lot of battles uh, that he fought in between there. And he talks about his influences of his mom and Aristotle and how they helped him uh, win the battles. And he obviously he lost a couple as well. But uh, as he went on to, you know, his conquers, uh, conquering of the world. And so we hope you enjoyed this episode. Want to encourage you to connect with us on our Facebook group, the Jerry and Jacoby podcast. Uh, love connecting with folks there. And also, if you have not done so, we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating and a review and also share the episode, share this podcast. Uh, if you're getting value from it, share it with your friends and family and, and coworkers and anybody that you come in contact with. And we'd love to hear from you as well. So if you have anything uh, that you'd like to reach out to us about or have any other suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear, uh, you can send us an email or a message there on Facebook. And so we're uh, loving doing this uh, podcast and interacting with you all. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Jerry and Jacoby podcast. If you walked away with something of value, we hope you'll share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so you get notification of all new episodes.